Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, well, I'm sure you've noticed over the last eight weeks that James is a little different to many of the other letters that we find in the New Testament. It doesn't have the kind of extended theological arguments that you'd find in one of Paul's letters. Uh, and there's little direct reference to Jesus. Um, no real attempt to explain what he's death and resurrection mean for us. Um, but as Luke reminded us right at the very beginning of this series, uh, this letter is kind of like the half-time pep talk that a coach might give their team. Uh, the players already know how to play the game. Uh, they're already committed. Um, and so James isn't trying to go back over the basics of the Christian faith. It's really kind of an impassioned plea to finish the game strong to keep going, to, to put into practice what they already know. Throughout the letter of James, we've seen some things that are confronting, no doubt. Uh, but it's a book that's immensely practical, isn't it? James has talked about things like how we use our words and showing favouritism. He's warned us about our attitudes towards money and wealth. The whole letter, in fact, is full of challenges about whether our faith is shown in how we live. And sitting behind all of that is also a recognition that this isn't always going to be easy, uh, that living for Jesus is going to have its ups and downs. There will be hardships and trials. There will be mistakes and failures along the way. In fact, sometimes we can feel so discouraged, so compromised in our faith, that we might feel like we can't go on, or that for us there's no coming back. In this last section that we're looking at this morning, James wants to talk to us about what we should do when we come to those times, those times when we feel weary and discouraged, even those times when we've wandered away from God. James wants to remind us that we are not alone in this, that in fact we are part of a team and that we're to help each other to keep going, to stay faithful to Jesus. If you go to verse 13 of chapter 5, James starts a new section here by listing a variety of circumstances that we might find ourselves in. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
So there's going to be good times, there's going to be difficult times. Uh, regardless of the current circumstances you find yourself in, James says, turn to God, whether in prayer or in praise. But from verse 14 onwards, uh, James appears to focus on what we should do in times of illness. Uh, and these verses have become the source of some confusion and controversy over the years. Uh, let's read those words again from verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, this would appear to be talking about people being healed from illness. Um, and it seems to involve a kind of ceremony involving uh, prayer and the anointing of oil. Um, but I'm not so sure that that's the case. In fact, I'm quite convinced that it's otherwise. See, normally I think the NIV translators, and uh, the NIV stands for New International Version, and that's the version of the Bible, the translation of the Bible that is in uh, the Pew Bibles. You may use a different translation. Um, but the NIV, I think, normally does a brilliant job of translating uh, from the original languages, the, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, uh, the Greek in the New Testament, translates from those original languages into very good readable English. Uh, but I have to say, I don't think this is their best work. Uh, and it's not just the NIV, but I think all the major popular translations have made an assumption in this passage, which I think is unhelpful. Um, because I don't think these verses are talking about illness, sickness, it's really talking about weariness and discouragement. And to show you why I think that's the case, uh, we're all going to go to Greek school for the next few minutes. I can tell you're excited about that. Um, you might even enjoy it. Uh, so there's a couple of Greek words that um, are important to understand here. A couple of words that are translated for us as sick in the English. Uh, the first one's there in verse 14, uh, where he starts by saying, is anyone among you sick. Uh, and the word there is asthenai. Now, this is a word that can refer to being physically sick, but it's also a word that can mean weak or weary. And so when Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the brother who is weaker in the faith, that's the word he uses. But it is also the word that John uses in his gospel to describe Lazarus right before he dies. And so it can mean ill as well. Now, when a word has a range of meanings like that, uh, we need to use context to try and figure out what the writer intended. And the passage helps us here uh, because we see him continue to talk about this idea. And in verse 15, the word sick comes up again. But the word sick in this case is actually a different Greek word. In fact, it's a much rarer word that's only used in one other place in all of the New Testament. And in that instance, the word clearly means weary rather than sick. And the word is kamnonta, uh, and it's there in verse 15. It says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the kamnonta person well. Uh, and so is that sick or is that weary? Well, the only other place where that word is used in the New Testament is here in Hebrews 12. And uh, the writer of Hebrews says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
So the idea in Hebrews is clearly an idea of being discouraged and losing heart. It's really a spiritual weariness rather than a physical illness. And so there's a couple of ways in which I think um, it might be better to read it as weary rather than sick. Uh, they're not, it's not the only reason. Uh, there's a couple of other words in here where James continues to talk about healing. Uh, and so in verse 15, we have the word uh, for well. Uh, it, it's the way it's translated is uh, to make someone well. But in fact, the word is the word for salvation, sozo. Uh, and so that's the word we would use for save. One more, one more, we're nearly done. Then right at the end of verse 16, okay, we find this word for healing. Uh, and the word is, um, got to work on my Greek here, iathene. Uh, and we find this, again, all through the New Testament. This is the common word for healing. This is just the, the regular word for healing. Um, but it is used in other ways in the New Testament as well. Uh, and so this word that we find at the end of verse 16 is found in its, in its form, the, you know, the aorist passive form. You can look that up later. No, don't bother. Um, but in that form, it's only used in one other place in the New Testament. And this is the verse for that. In 1 Peter 2 verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay? So Peter clearly has in mind a figurative use of the word healing here. It's not to do with physical sickness. It's about wholeness. And I'm convinced that James wants to use the word in the same way in his passage. So let me give you my paraphrased translation of what I think is a better way to translate all these words together. James writes, Is anyone among you weary? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is weary, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed or restored. When it's translated this way, we see that James isn't talking about the healing of someone who's physically unwell, but the restoration of someone who is weary and discouraged, someone who may be struggling in their faith, someone who may be in the grip of some sin that has crippled their faith. Uh, and I'm sure that it makes better sense of what he says here about confessing sins too and the idea of seeking forgiveness. See, if that spiritual dryness that you're experiencing is a result of some sin that is unconfessed and unacknowledged, James says the way out is to recognise that for what it is. In fact, if that's the state you're in, call the elders of the church in to talk about that, to pray for you. Make a public declaration of repentance and faith claim god's promise of forgiveness and james says in that way you can be restored and renewed in your relationship both to god and with his people and i think this interpretation makes much better sense of the wider context in james as well because james has been writing about the kind of hardships and trials and discouragements that we might experience and he's repeatedly called upon us to repent and to turn back to god with the promise of forgiveness, with the promise of restoration. So I think it would be a little out of place for him to just start talking about sickness here. Um, James could do that. He does throw some random things in from time to time, that's for sure. Uh, but I don't think that's what he's doing here. So to those who are burdened, 
If this is you, if you are feeling tired and weary in the faith, there's an encouragement here for you to even ask the elders of our church to come and pray for you. Confess that sin if that's what you need to do, to recommit yourself to serving God. And for those who do that, there is the promise here of forgiveness, promise of restoration, that God will raise you up. These themes continue in the rest of the letter as well. Uh, There's this interesting reference to Elijah that comes up in the next set of verses, from verse 17. Uh, It's, well, I'll read it with you. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is referring here to events that you could read about in the book of 1 Kings, uh, starting sort of in 1 Kings chapter 17 and in the chapters that follow. Um, Elijah, if you know the story, lived during a time when Israel was just about at its lowest point, um, particularly with regard to their relationship to God and how they were worshipping him. Uh, And a man named Ahab was king over Israel. Um, Now, Ahab's wife, her name was Jezebel, so that gives you a bit of a clue. Uh, she's the Jezebel for which all other Jezebels are named. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel were quite the pair. Uh, and they were regularly uh, having run-ins with Elijah, the prophet of God. And so Elijah at one point prays, as God instructs him to, prays for the rain to stop. He brings about a drought on the land for three and a half years and prays again to break it. Uh, drought here is a, a common Old Testament metaphor for spiritual poverty among God's people. And so James, in his letter here, he tags Elijah because he also wants to talk about this spiritual dryness. And he stresses that the way forward, the way out, the way to be restored, the way to break this drought is to seek after God in prayer. But James also wants us to notice that part of the way God helps us to do that is through other believers as well. He wants us to appreciate that we've been given each other to help us in our walk with God. We've seen that already in the role that the elders uh, have been encouraged to play in that first section. Um, But James, in fact, says that this is a responsibility that doesn't just belong to the elders of the church. It's a responsibility that belongs to all of us. We all have a responsibility for each other a responsibility to help encourage one another, to encourage each other and call each other to stay true to Jesus. So have a look with me there from verse 19. And these are the last two verses in James's letter. This is how he finishes up. He says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James has spoken to the weary. Uh, Now he has a word here for the wandering. But his message is not to them directly. It's for the rest of the community. He's wanting to encourage us to try and bring back those who may have wandered away from Jesus. And that's again all part of how God has said he in fact will help all of us in our relationship with him. 
that we each have a role to play in each other's lives in this regard. Because there are times when we can't see it for ourselves or we don't want to see it for ourselves. We found ways to justify our behaviour or we've convinced ourselves that some sin in our lives doesn't really matter. It's at those times that we need a brother or sister in Christ to challenge us, to confront us, to call us back to serving God as we should. Are you willing to be that person? If you saw a Christian friend heading in the wrong direction, would you see that you had a responsibility to try and correct them, to to bring them back? James paints a picture here in this last section of a community that is willing to get involved, that's willing to get alongside, that prays with and for each other, and when it's necessary, is willing to call each other out, call each other back to faithfulness. That's a responsibility we all have to each other, to, to help each other to persevere, to keep going through all the ups and the downs the joys and the failures. And so that means being willing to have those hard conversations when the time comes. Now, can I also say we need to be very careful with this stuff? Um, I'm sure we've all had that experience of having some well-intentioned person, or at least we like to think they're well-intentioned, try and impose their version of Christian piety on us and into our lives. You might want to have a go at us about I don't know what we're wearing or what we eat or what we drink, how we parent, how often we might show up to church or not. Um, Now, some of those criticisms may be valid. We always need to listen respectfully when we hear that, to weigh up if there's anything in it. But we don't always have to agree. Those people who criticise us are not always right. Um, I don't think this is an encouragement from James for us to all just shoot from the hip and fire off our opinions at any opportunity we get. It is unhelpful, isn't it, that often the people who seem most willing to correct others are often the very worst people to be doing that. Kind of judgmental type of people who like sharing their opinions about just about everything. But there is a healthy balance in here that I think we need to try and strike. There should be, I think, a healthy reluctance for us to try and correct each other. Um, We want to only do that when we're on pretty sure footing, when we recognise that the issue is is clear. But if that is the case, we do need to have the courage to speak up at times, to love others enough to be willing to do that for them. Because that's key, isn't it? The motivation of our hearts is, well, it makes all the difference. These conversations are never easy to have. And I'm not going to pretend that it always ends well, Sometimes it does not. You may well get accused of being self-righteous and judgmental. It might cost you a friendship. But you're only going to bother, aren't you, if you realise what's at stake? If you love your Christian brother or sister enough to try. The stakes couldn't be higher. James says it's a life or death thing. Now we also, I think, need to get a lot better at hearing criticism and receiving correction as well not many of us like it when someone gets all up in our business as they say 
But sometimes that's exactly what we need and we need to recognise that. We need to fight both things, that reluctance to get involved in each other's lives and that resistance to hearing correction from others. The whole thing is messy and inconvenient. It's going to be. And it can be exhausting. But if we care, if we truly love each other, we'll be willing to do this too. At the heart of James's letter is this plea to persevere, to keep going as followers of Jesus. And James says we can and should be helping each other to do that, that we're in this together as a part of God's church. Well, that's James. I imagine this letter has challenged each of us in different ways. It may have been the issue about the tongue and how you use your words. It might have been hearing that faith without works is no faith at all. It's dead. For some of us, it may have been about our attitude to wealth or how we make plans for the future. It may have been the issue of favouritism that really challenged you. Perhaps from today, this struggle that God has challenged you about, a struggle in your life that you know you need to address, to confess, to turn to God in prayer, to seek the support of Christian friends. It may be that someone you know is struggling. You know that someone is weary and discouraged. Will you pray for them? Will you offer to pray with them? There may be a Christian friend who you know is wandering from the truth. You know you need to try and win them back. Are you prepared to have that conversation? Remember, James started his letter by warning us not to merely listen to God's word, but to do what it says. So I'm going to give you a minute now uh, to do just that, to ask God to convict you about what you know you need to do. Whatever it is that he's laid on your heart or is laying on your heart, bring that to God and ask for his help.